Hello everyone and happy July! This is a really special month for us because we started our podcast Coco Crypto one year ago in July and in order to celebrate us being live and us recording and keeping this podcast alive for a year, also reaching 20,000 downloads just last month before you know the month of July began, we have lots of things to celebrate. So you must keep two dates in mind for some special things that are going to come out. The first really special date is July 13th and the next special date is July 31st. So keep these two dates in mind. We have something coming up and you'll hear about it either in the newsletter or over the podcast. That's that for the talk of celebration. <laughs> in order to join us in this celebration, actually, you can do something. It's your mission should you choose to accept it. Tell one of your friends, one of your colleagues, one of your loved ones, whoever, about one episode that you loved listening to and why. That's it. That's all. That's your mission. <laughs> and that's going to help us grow. That's going to help us sustain this growth. And that would be amazing for us. And Yes, about this episode, what is blockchain? I know we're going back to the basics on this one. So blockchain technology is the thing that underpins all cryptocurrencies. And we've been asked about it multiple times in the past couple of months. So we decided to dedicate this episode on it. We break down the definition. We put it in terms so that once you listen to it, you will hopefully be able to replicate it if somebody else asks you about it. And we also discussed two other things that you need to keep in mind when you talk about blockchain or you hear about anyone else talking about blockchain. It's, you know, you have to ask them two important questions about um, about this, you know, blockchain technology. Because, you know, to be honest, it's a little bit overhyped. And uh, we, we break down the things that you need to pay attention to if you're either investing in a project that has blockchain technology in it or buying into a token of some sort that says that their blockchain does this that and this and that whatever else so we had a lot of fun recording this episode and uh, we hope you, you do too if you have any questions after that um would be always feel free to reach us at ready at goflowcrypto.com and share so share the love um give us a rating put five stars on apple Podcasts and tell your friends about it that would be the best thing for us uh, and the best for us to grow and continue growing so thank you so much again for being with us for one full year and without further ado let's begin the episode the thoughts and opinions expressed by keegan francis Murgakshi palway and the guests interviewed on the go full crypto podcast are solely their own the content discussed are intended to be for informational purposes only. What is blockchain? Oh my goodness, Kagan, do you remember us talking about this for a little over a year and a half? Just answering that question over and over again. Yeah, in the beginning of our business. For all of those who don't know, um, GoFull Crypto, before we started focusing entirely on cryptocurrency, our company, Atlantic Blockchain Company, we focused on education of blockchain technology. And uh, it was because we live in Atlantic Canada <laughs> and uh, Atlantic Canada is, is a fantastic province. Technology wise, we're a little bit behind. I'm going to have to stop you there. Atlantic what? Canada is not a province. It's, <laughs> it's, it's four. <laughs> oh no, that's what I meant. I know that's what you meant. Oh, 
Yeah, didn't want to confuse our listeners. Thank you. This well, is an episode about blockchain, so I thought we'd have to get off on the right foot <laughs> with uh, with provinces first. Well, thank you, Keegan. Uh, Atlantic Blockchain Company. What we did was we we addressed um, what blockchain technology can do, how it can help uh, with respect to food sa- food chains, and oh gosh, I think that was a majority of what we did. But also financial systems and how we can help with accounting and. Um, it can be used as a tool for startup hubs to uh, innovate on and use for their own products. So we educated a lot on blockchain in the first year and a half of our business before we decided to move to crypto. But in the past couple of months, and especially like one incident where somebody really wanted us to sit down and, and talk to them about uh, or explain to them the underlying technology of Bitcoin and every other cryptocurrency. So we decided, hey, let's just um, do an episode on it. On blockchain. On blockchain. Exclusively this. Yeah. So what what is blockchain? Listen, in the most tongue-in-cheek way... The, the the definition for blockchain is that it's a chain of blocks, hence the word blockchain. And for those of our listeners that have, that understand computer science data structures, a blockchain is a backlink list. And we will simplify it for those of you that don't understand that. So um, I really like to think of it as um, a camera, like a security camera that continuously records something that takes place in a, in a store. And you, you know, you leave the camera on at night, even after the store closes, so that you make sure that nothing happens when the store isn't open. And if there is a thief or there's a burglary or robbery or whatever, it can be caught on camera. So the camera, the security camera is supposed to stay open 24-7, 365. There should never be an instance where that security camera is not working. Right. That security camera doesn't have business hours, for example. Yeah, exactly. So blockchain kind of is similar to that security camera because what it does is depending on what it's recording, it records that 24-7-365 period. Yeah, regardless of what's taking place um, within itself. Yeah, and and depending on how it is connected to whatever it is recording, it is supposed to record a lack of anything taking place because just like the security camera being on at night, a lack of anything taking place means that nothing bad happened. Yeah, a, a lack of something is still information, right? We can still derive information from a lack of anything else happening, right? We now know with with uh, with certitude that nothing took place within this period of time, if in fact those blocks are empty. Right. So now. You describe blockchain as a chain of blocks, but what's the chain made of, and what is in these blocks? So whatever is in the blocks depends on what it is recording. And currently there's blockchains recording all sorts of things. But if we go back to the very, very first successful attempt at a blockchain, it was the Bitcoin blockchain. And what is inside the blocks of a Bitcoin blockchain is all of the transactions that take place on the Bitcoin network. Yeah. And I, th- I think if we're to just dig in a little bit deeper, Murga, um, all blockchains contain transactions within their blocks. But uh, with respect to Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin's transactions are basically really just transfers, transfers from one place, one address to another, whereas other blockchains now uh, you can create a new token or you can mint an NFT or you can uh, give a loan to someone else on the network. And those are much more sophisticated transactions. But really, at the end of the day, you want to be thinking 
of blocks in a blockchain as made up of transactions. That's almost a universal truth, I'd say. Yeah. And <clears throat> excuse me. What the chain is supposed to do is keep the blocks in line um, of sorts. So, for example, block number zero is, you know, the first, the zeroth block. The one that comes after that is block number one. Well, how do you make sure that the order of block one and block zero stays unchanged? Well, you chain the blocks. So block zero is connected to block one. Block one is connected to block two. Block two is connected to block three. But this is all digital. You have to remember this. So even if block zero and block one are connected by a quote unquote digital chain, if anything changes in, say, block one, every single block that came after it is not the same anymore because of the chain that connects all of these blocks together. Yeah. So you can kind of think of it like this. If you were to change block one in a blockchain with 10 blocks, then you're you're actually just severing that chain and block two through 10 are now invalid they, they, they won't work anymore they you can't just glue block two back onto block zero and, and emit one forever that it doesn't work like that yeah so if you're wondering okay i mean i can visualize this in terms of a physical block and a physical chain but how does this work in the digital sense because obviously there's no actual chain you're right there isn't and the reason why it is quote unquote, change together is because um, of signatures, essentially. So um, another, let's just use a couple of synonyms or analogies to help our listeners get a, get their mind around what a signature is. Um, I, I like to use a checkbook as a... Yeah, I was actually thinking a contract too. Is like your physical signature, it's yours or your fingerprint. Yeah. That's another good, that's unique to you. Your DNA is unique to you. It's your digit. it's your analog signature if you want to think about it like that. Yeah, so when you sign on anything, um, you are essentially saying that you have looked at whatever is on that piece of paper, that contract, that check, and you're signing off with your name saying you approve, you accept, this is done. Now, if somebody decides that they want to change something on that contract in case there's an amendment or, you know, you want to change the amount on a check, you need to re-sign that um, because it's now something completely different. Right. So this mapping this onto the whole signature thing with blockchains is when something has been recorded inside a digital block the the way that the code works is that there's a signature that um that is the result of all of the data that that is in that block and that signature is contained not only within that same block but it also is in the next block and that is what causes the um, the connection between the first block and the next block right so just to speak that back to you uh a block has some amount of information, let's just call it block 10. And block 10 has three transactions in it. And that block 10, if it has a unique signature, it has a unique fingerprint in the digital realm, because it is block 10, there will never be another block 10. It has three transactions between three individuals. And they'll like those people will never be able to spend the Bitcoin or whatever else that's contained within that block. Again, it's unique to that that period of time that they took place as well. So that we've got all sorts of unique information in that block and the aggregation of all that information together essentially forms the signature that you're talking about. 
and we take that signature and we make sure it's a part of the next block so that the next block is digitally linked to the block that came before it. And then we, we propagate that into, into time and we, we look at it and we say, okay, well, we've got a Bitcoin blockchain with 600,000 blocks in it and uh, whatever uh, block 50 in Bitcoin is, is permanent now. It would be incredibly difficult to to go back and change that uh, the sure. structure of the blockchain yeah so let's talk about why it's incredibly difficult to go back and change something that is in block 50 so the first reason is that we've talked about signatures let's take for example of what a signature would look like it is a mix of numbers and letters no i think just numbers that's uh, just letters sorry no no no. it's alphanumeric yeah, alpha okay cool yeah. it is alphanumeric and very very long string of alpha or very very long alphanumeric string but to, to keep things simple let's say that the three transactions that keegan was talking about inside a block the resultant signature of that is um abc1 okay so abc1 is in block number 50 as a result of that block containing those transactions and the next block when it is produced because you have well yeah i guess one important thing to note here is that there's two things that can produce quote unquote, the next block. One is if the previous block is full or the current block is full and you cannot record any more transactions. Or two, if um, it is based on time. Um, some blockchains now produce blocks when it's time for them to produce the next block, even if they aren't full. So it can be, you know, one or two of like one or two differentiating factors. So let's just say that this block is full, block number 50 is full, it has three transactions, and the resultant signature of it is ABC1. Now it's time for the next block to um, be created. When the next block is created, ABC1 is already in it. ABC1 is a part of that block number 51 because block number 51 needs to know what came before it. And the one thing that determines what came before it is that signature ABC1. Right. Yeah. And so then in block 52, um, we've got yet the signature of block 51. And let's just go so back to the example. So, so if I were to change uh, block number 50 and uh, change anything in it, let's just say I remove a transaction. It's now a completely different block. Because and its the signature, signature, yeah. its signature is no longer ABC1. Let's just say now that the signature is XYZ1. Right. And then everything after that block is now invalid because block 51 used to have a signature of ABC or used to have or the previous yeah. block signature as ABC1 and, and now it doesn't. And so everything after block 50 is no longer compatible. Essentially, what we've done is we've created a new blockchain where the fifth, first 50 blocks are the same as, as the, uh, the previous blockchain that we had. And, and now we're starting a new one um, from block 50. That's. I kind of how that all works out yeah and one thing that secures the fact that this can never really be reflected in any real blockchain is decentralization so you know quickly to recap decentralization is devoid of anything centralized or concentrated in one location or one institution so the decentralization of the bitcoin blockchain enables this particular code base this, this not code base and blockchain to run on hundreds and thousands and hundreds and thousands of computers all around the world. So even if, you know, right now Keegan and I decided, hey, let's, you know, muck around, change something in this particular block, and um, we make that change, it's successful, it doesn't mean it's it becomes true because there's 
999,000 other blocks, or sorry, other nodes or computers that have the same um, blockchain, but they don't have the change that we made. Because they don't accept it, right? They they check our work. They keep us honest. That, that's one of the like the beauty things, beautiful things about blockchain is that essentially it's a system where people don't need to trust each other. Um, everyone's checking each other's work all the time. Um, we're all sitting at a table and we're checking each other's work because we don't trust one another. We're um, like, I speak English, you speak uh, Mandarin. And we have another person at the table that speaks Russian and another speaks uh, um, Spanish. And we can't really communicate with, with each other, but yet we all speak the same language of mathematics, which is really cool because we can now have a global money without unifying the language around around a particular spoken language that the language that this money is unified around is, is the language of math and cryptography, which allows us to collaborate with people um, and, and, and collaborate on a system of money without having to trust or even know anyone else that's in the system. Uh, it's, it's a really, that's, that's the primary use case of, of blockchain. We, uh, in our endeavors, Murga, we searched for so many use cases. And at the end of the day, what, what did we come up with? What was the conclusion that we reached? With respect to what blockchain can be used for? Yeah. Oh, well, I, in my personal opinion, um, handling money is the, uh, well, one of the only fewest cases that it has. But what blockchains have enabled is um, not uh, auto autonomous transactions and autonomous um, communication between two parties without the need to trust one another. Right. So basically the job of a lawyer or the <laughs> job of an accountant or the job of any third party who is supposed to do that for you in financial applications only period. So there's a huge asterisk there. Is that what you wanted me to get at? Cause I was, I don't know what you wanted me oh, to no, say. Oh no, that's good. That, yeah. Okay. So I actually wanted to um, bring up the, f that one word that you use Keegan trust. Yeah, And this is really important to elaborate on and talk about when it comes to blockchain, because usually you'll find um, people say, oh, it's on the blockchain, so you can trust it. <laughs> yeah, that's not um, true. Yeah. So I want to dive into that entire issue of, um, you know, people taking for granted that, oh, if it's on the blockchain, then you can trust and then it is the truth and whatever else. Okay, so let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, to start this off, like we can say that if it's on the blockchain, then the data that's on the blockchain is is what was there when it first got there, right? Like we, we, we can have that kind of certainty. We just can't map that data onto reality and say that, that that data is a true representation of what happened because you must then ask the question, who put that data there and why did they put it there? Right. So let's just talk about um, maybe like a weather app or something. Maybe we want to have a financial application, Murga, where, where I don't know, for whatever reason, um, every day that uh, every day here in Halifax, Nova Scotia, that the weather is above 20 degrees Celsius, I'll give you a dollar every day that it's below 20 degrees Celsius, you'll give me a dollar. And that's that's our agreement. We're just going to play a little game with one another. Well, who feeds the weather data into the blockchain? Who gives that data? Because whoever gives that data, I'm going to go and try to contact them to make sure that they always make, always tell the blockchain that the the um, the temperature is before above twenty degrees, below twenty degrees. 
Oh, that's when I give you money? Yeah. Oh. Right? So I can manipulate the blockchain. And if if we've engaged in this game or in this, it's called the smart contract uh, that pays me out when it's below 20, pays you out when it's above 20, then it's in my best interest to, to make sure that the data says that the temperature is always below 20. And I have an interest to, to lie, essentially. And uh, that's just, and okay, let's say I succeed and get get it someone whoever the uh, the arbiter the oracle is to to lie about the the temperature in halifax uh then i've essentially encrusted false information into the blockchain and the blockchain's then going to take some of your money and put it in my account um that was a very interesting analogy it was a weird analogy i know but i, I don't know did it I, illustrate what we're talking about well or? um yeah well i think the point that you were trying to draw at least what i gathered is um you have uh, because you know who you can go to to manipulate the data um, of what the blockchain is listening to, you 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 can. Yeah. You will. You can if you have malintent um, and mal you you want to gain the system, quote unquote. So uh, you introduced the word there, smart contracts, that I think we've talked about before, but not in this particular episode yet. And I want to dial it back just a little bit. So blockchain um, is I guess let's just divide what blockchains, where blockchains can get information into two separate categories. There's one type of blockchain where everything is pre-decided and all that it collects is people tuning into the blockchain and then moving numbers around based on what is already on it, what it already knows about. Yeah, no, I, hold on just a sec because I want to re-articulate that in a slightly different way. Uh, the two types of blockchains that you're talking about are blockchains that are self-contained and blockchains that are uh, connected to the outside world in one way, shape or form or another. Mm -hmm. The self-contained blockchain that you just described is Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin doesn't know about, it doesn't have the capacity to know about the weather. There's, I, I couldn't tell Bitcoin about the weather and have it, have it do anything with that information, even if I tried. It doesn't have that capability. It's a self-contained system. All that it knows about is it's 21 million coins and that it needs to produce a block every 10 minutes. It's really all the Bitcoin blockchain is designed to do. It's designed to keep track of the Bitcoin. Whereas a blockchain that is smart contract enabled is? Um, the open system blockchain, or what, what did you call it? Uh, well, a system that's connected to the outside world. Yeah. I just, that's kind of how I described it. Yeah, a system that's connected. I like that. The system that's connected to the outside world because that's where you need to have um, a contract between what you have um, entering on the blockchain and what and or who is putting that information in so smart contract is simply a way for us as people to code into the the program the blockchain a way for something to automatically trigger so when you know you've written a contract say for a rental agreement or a car agreement what you're agreeing to is hey every month i'll pay you rent um and you, you sure you can take it out of my account on this particular day and it'll be this amount right so it's an automatic withdrawal of your money exactly that's actually really cool Maria. i've I never heard this described as a smart contract before <laughs> but that's exactly what it is but in, it's like an analog smart contract yeah uh you sign the the like the rental agreement you then give them a void check for your bank. Uh, you sign another piece of paper saying that you authorize them to take such and such amount of value out of your bank account on a monthly basis. 
and all of that happens quote unquote automatically basically just said what i said i know but like (laughs) it was cool i've actually never considered that to be a smart contract but that's exactly what it is except uh, like in in a smart contract enabled blockchain it's uh it all happens within this one operating system of sorts yeah well the word smart that comes into play with respect to the contract is um like everything is loaded on to that particular that blockchain your entire interaction can be triggered um with you agreeing that okay the smart contract makes sense and um, that's about it. I think that it, it reduces the number of barriers because let's say right now my bank is separate from where I'm living, obviously two different entities. And then some amount of permissions need to be taken and given from one party to another, but in a digital world, everything is digital. There really doesn't need to be any jumping of sorts. So when a smart contract is designed between yourself and a party that you want to interact with, that smart contract becomes the 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 arbiter of that particular um, transaction between the two parties. Yeah, I I, want to go through the escrow example because I think that illustrates pretty well another use case. So it's not just for like the automatic deposit or withdrawal of funds, but we can kind of classify that as the automatic transfer, trade transfer, sharing of value. The other thing that I'd like to um, bring this back to because we we introduced the idea of trust, right? Uh, And when you buy a house, for example, uh, the process is, is loosely like this. Um, you need to deposit the money into an account and the person selling you their house <clears throat> needs to sign over the deed to you. And that those two things, the money and the deed, are held by a middle entity, usually a lawyer's office or, or, or some lawyer. And that's because you can't, the two parties cannot really trust um, who, well, trust each other because who does what first does because if the person if the landowner gives the agreement of the new land to the new owner before they receive the money then that's a bad scenario because the landowner doesn't receive the money for that right um and vice versa if someone gives the landowner the money and they don't receive the agreement in return then you know what are they going to do to make that uh, make them give them that agreement so yeah and then the, the lawyer's office what their job is to do is to validate the deed make sure, okay, I have the deed and it's signed, but is it even a valid deed? And then, okay, I I see that the money's in this account, but is there any way that it can be reversed or uh, or turned around? Is this is all of the money there? And is it actually money? (laughs) Like, I'm not sure how many more ways we can put that. But um, that whole job of the lawyer can be removed with the help of a smart contract. Uh, so for a certain thing, for certain things, <laughs> sure. Yeah. So it's an, it's an escrow a smart contract that the lawyer is performing the job of an escrow. And so the, the host seller would deposit the, the deed, the host buyer would deposit the money. The smart contract would validate, uh, that the deed is correct and the money is there. And only after those two things are true, the exchange happens. And we've just done this exchange without the need of a law office, which by the way, take a percentage and, uh, and charge $500 charge a lot an hour. Of money. Yeah, it's crazy. If, if any lawyers are listening to us, um, we're not bashing you. We, we, yeah, th- we, we think like, your job is still very necessary. Your job is valid and necessary, but sometimes it just makes us question what the $500 is for, but you know, <laughs> you know, you do you, you go for it. You're still needed. Um, 
Yeah, so, well, what Keegan just described is the interaction with uh, the outside world. And actually, was it Estonia? If I remember correctly. If I remember correctly, Estonia is the country that was experimenting with putting their deeds on the blockchain, deeds to ownership of land or deeds to ownership yeah. of farmland, I think in particular, I remember them experimenting with. And um, the, the exact same scenario that Keegan just described, it would take place digitally. So whatever steps you've had to take previously in order to procure a piece of property, this would now all of, all be done at the leisure of your computer uh, <laughs> yeah. in, within a couple of clicks. Yeah, that, that's right. And, and so I actually want to take that land registry uh, example, Maruga, and just kind of apply it to a recent event that, uh, that hopefully going forward, we'll, we'll never have to use this use case, but it would, would have been nice to have uh, blockchain available to us and able to actually record this information ahead of time. And that's the whole situation that just happened with Syria. Um, uh, like ISIS came in, they they started seizing, seizing up property and land and basically redrawing the lines on the map uh, for who owns what in a particular town or county or um, within any geographic region. Hey, I'm just going to stop you right there. Yeah. I don't think you can really like blankly and plainly and simply say it uh, like put it as oh, isis came in and, and started doing this because like, that's a no that's what they did though. yeah but, well i look at things like anything geopolitical and geosocial i look at it as um the economy there's so many variables and so many factors that i don't think you can put it as simply as they came in and did this but okay. you know what? That's my opinion. So you go for it. <laughs> Let's just say for the sake of the example, they did. Okay. They did do this. We've got some malicious group that comes into a country and redraws the lines on the map and goes to the town hall, destroys the records of who owned what previously. Now, when if, if there's a, a liberating force that comes back in and tries to redistribute the land according to, to who, who actually had it uh, before the disaster happened, before the insurgents happened, how were they supposed to do that if the records were destroyed? And this is one of where we get a nice desirable property of blockchain, which is its distributability. Um, and that's, okay, take these land records, uh, make sure it's on a digital system that it's replicated elsewhere in the world so that if we ever need to recreate the land records, uh, we have multiple locations that we can, we can pull from. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you seem so un unimpressed with this example. <laughs> I, uh, you know, it's, I don't usually um, appreciate <laughs> uh, putting things so simply as this happened and then this happened when it, when you're talking about the crisis that a different country is facing, like there's just so many factors, but that's really besides the point right now. i I'm not even sure if a, a like a quote unquote an advanced country that had and was uh, using blockchain technology and um, leveraging decentralization. I mean, they could also just leverage cloud-based computing and put these land records in a different place. So I feel like that example is a little bit far fetched. Well, no, because one of the things that happened in that situation was the government was was fairly corrupt as well. Well, th there's that, and we actually do see. Um, startups that are using blockchain technology to put identification of people on the blockchain. So um, I remember when I was in Portugal two or three years ago when I went to that tech conference, um, there was a company, and I don't remember what their name was, sorry about that, but 
what they they saw a huge inflow of immigrants, or sorry, not immigrants, refugees from Syria, and they didn't really have any identification. They lost everything, so it was a real. They had a really hard time getting their driver's license or getting a lease or um, getting whatever else needs identification, like getting electricity, access to electricity, and whatever else. So. What this company decided to do, oh yeah, I think the name was Tykin, T-Y-K-N, if I remember correctly. So what they decided to do is um, they, you know, decided to partner with the electricity institution, the, the water, whatever, the driver's license issuing, issuing authority and whoever else. And they said that, hey, when you want to identify any of these refugees, you just, let's partner together and you can look in our database because we are going to identify and issue an identity um, certificate for these people so that they don't have to go and... Um, I guess, you know, go other places or go round and round in circles trying to get you the papers that you need in order to give them access to basic, you know, living needs. Right. If people were just faced with a disaster, like a flood, for example, and their house was carried away in, in a massive river, then their passport might be there. And then yeah. how are those people supposed to board a plane to seek refuge elsewhere or prove their identity or do anything for that matter? Like so much of what uh, the government is able to provide you with today is dependent upon you being able to prove that you are a citizen of that country or you have an identity within the country and you can prove that you have no criminal record and you can prove that you're not associated with any terrorist organizations. All of those things matter and it's all dependent upon your name and and uh, the various digital representations of your, you that is all around the world. So here's the golden question. Is blockchain really required for all of this? I think that is the golden question. Yeah, because... Uh, <laughs> What's the answer, though? <laughs> well, I think it is in some cases and, and definitely not in others. I I, I think it's... Um, this is where I think the multifaceted uh, <laughs> dynamics of, of a complex situation come in um, because I'd like to ask my, myself the question, who gets permission to update the people's identities? Do the people get... Uh, like the people who own their identities get to update it or do the companies or does a... But that's not uh, the government that's or... not what i'm asking though i'm, I'm okay. saying that you know do you really need a blockchain database in order to you uh, in order to secure people's identities and ownership of land and etc or can you not just use a database and databases have you know, backup systems and there's also cloud-based systems you can back it up in several places so what's the difference between just having something on a database versus having something on a blockchain some federated way of of getting to decide who who uh, who who updates when. I, I think I think that's the the biggest distinguishing factor between a, a regular old distributed database and a blockchain is who gets to update it when. But you know, if it's identification and it's land ownership, then it's always going to be the institutions that are in charge of um, giving away or parting away like whatever it is that they need to part with right so in that case then no we don't need a blockchain for that yeah so well <laughs> sorry i wasn't trying to fish an answer out of you i was just simply trying to like come up with um arguments that go for and against using blockchain for any of this so i think the answer is a little bit nuanced and it's very nuanced. it really depends on the situation because like you said correctly it depends on who has access to control what gets logged into the database, even if it is on the blockchain, blockchain, or you know, 
a normal simple database. So the administrator or whoever has control over what information gets put in, they essentially end up having the power of deciding what is true and what is not, um, or what is what gets put in as the truth. And um, yeah, because the computer has no notion of truth whatsoever. And the computer's with, going to do exactly what it's told to do when given the information that it's given. Exactly. And if you were to think, or if you were under the, under the impression that, oh, if something's on the blockchain, then it is the truth, then you'd just be very weary and cautious of that particular misconception because that is not the truth, especially if whatever is on the blockchain, it happens because of an interaction with the outside world. That's right. So if you take, let's go through like the, the main takeaways from this episode, Burga. Um What is blockchain? It's a chain of blocks mm-hmm. and blocks contain transactions. And think of it in terms of a security camera. It's always recording because not only does it have to record what is happening during the day, it also has to record what doesn't happen during the night. Right on. Um, number two, I would say that just because uh, something is on the blockchain doesn't make it true. Um, now, the only exception to that, I think... <laughs> yeah, well, it's just because something is on the blockchain doesn't make it true. And you need to consider the two different kinds of blockchains when you want to think about that, because you have closed blockchain systems, and then you have blockchains that interact with the outside world and have that information put on the blockchain. So the two have completely different trust factors, because yeah. with closed blockchain systems, you just have to verify whether or not the code that people are running is correct, because everything is predecided. And if everything is pre-decided like it is on the Bitcoin blockchain, then you... You do have certainty that everything on the blockchain is true in that case because it's a self-contained system. It doesn't... It's not dependent upon what happens in the outside world. Yeah. So, and just a quick example of this is if tomorrow nobody transacts on the Bitcoin blockchain, every 10 minutes, the Bitcoin blockchain is still going to produce a block. It'll just be empty. And it doesn't really need transactions in order for it to produce that next block. Um, so that there's that, and that that's where the truth factor kind of bleeds into is, okay, is it a closed system or does it interact with the open world? So, you know, this misconception that if something is on the blockchain, you can trust that it has to be true. It is wrong. And, uh, we, uh, advise you to, uh, approach that system, approach that statement with caution. Yeah, definitely. I think those were basically the two main takeaways of this episode. I don't know if we really Three? covered a third one. Well, uh, what is blockchain? The whole truth thing. And then I guess the third one was the two kinds of blockchains that exist. That seems like a good, good yeah. collection of, uh, of learnings. This is true. Well, if um, everyone listening, if you have any questions, listening and watching, sorry, if you have any questions, we love talking about this. We basically know it like the back of our hand <laughs> because we have so much um, experience um, talking and explaining what blockchain is. And working with them. And working with them too, yeah. And we've, we've actually come up with a couple of ideas that we could use the blockchain for, and we advise a couple of companies on whether or not a blockchain is a viable system. So if you have any questions or if you want to get in touch with us and say, hey, I'm dealing with this company, I want to know whether or not their idea is valid, or I have this idea and I want to know whether or not a blockchain is a valid way to go about it, just reach out. We are happy to talk to you and, you know, tell you what we know. That's right. All right. Take us out, Murga. Yeah. Well, thank you everyone for listening and watching and talk to you next week. Bye.